0: Well, welcome to Bragging on Jesus, week number three. Now, today we will be looking at uh, the fourth chapter of John and uh, the woman at the well of Sychar in Samaria. And we'll be looking for um, some truths about uh, bragging on Jesus, how can we, we can do that better in our life. And then the assignment for next week that we can work on today a little bit and throughout the week is to write a poem from some truth out of the text today. All right, let's go ahead and begin John 4 uh, with verse 7. A woman from Samaria came to draw water. Jesus said to her, give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, how is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? For the Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. Let's pause there for a moment. Now, question, what might seem risky in how Jesus engaged this woman? Well, number one, I guess uh, she was a Samaritan, the text says that. Uh, she's a woman, and she's from Samaria, and the Jews don't have dealings with the Samaritans. See, the Jews looked at the Samaritans as um, a mixed bloodline, half-Jew. They were unclean, and they, as the general rule, they were prejudiced against them. So a Jew that was taking a journey, uh, he might go around Samaria to get to his destination. He, he would be willing to, to walk further than he needed to. That's how serious they were about this. So that was quite a risk for for Jesus to do that. Um, you know, and know sometimes we do need to take risk to engage people for the gospel. Now, what Jesus said was it was not a level one, uh, nice weather today or how are you type conversation, but it was... One that called her to action. So that's something else that was risky here. He said, uh, you know, he asked her for a drink, right? Now, uh, you know, uh, usually we don't just go up to walk, walk up to somebody we've never met and ask them for something. Uh, But I think Jesus actually, he pressed her. He was discerning. We need to have discernment in our life and relationships. But he pressed her <clears throat> to the edge of her comfort zone and a little further. He didn't. He didn't just overwhelm her and say, "You're a sinner and need to be saved." No, that might have pushed her away. But he pushed her just a little bit to the edge of her comfort zone, um, in, a, in a way that she would have to make some kind of response. You know, uh, you know, you can say, have a nice day, or it's a wonderful day, how are you, without even making eye contact, but Jesus asked her for something, and, uh, you know, some people, um, they don't want help from anybody, they, and, um, and this woman may have been that way, but she was a woman that was, uh, you know, and this man was a Jew, and, uh, and, uh She didn't know him. She was probably wanted to shrink back into her shell, but Jesus called her to a response of some type. And like I said, some people don't want to be helped for whatever reason, but at the same time, they have some, uh, a type of compassion in their heart and they are willing to help others. And Jesus may have discerned that. So, uh, but it was risky. Everything he did was risky. And as a believer, we cannot just stay in our comfort zone and expect to to share the good news throughout the world. You know, We have to, to, to break out of that. Verse 10, Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. So if you knew the gift of God uh, and who I am, you know, that it's asking for a drink, you would have asked gave him you know, ask him for a drink. Well, the gift of God reminds me of uh, Romans six twenty-three, for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. So Jesus, he would be paid the wages of our sin. Um that we might have the gift of God, eternal life that comes only through him. So uh, Jesus was, was beginning to expound the gospel to this woman. And, and he did it in a way that, um, that maybe wouldn't have uh, caused this woman to, to make a decision about what he was saying right away. You know, she, Jesus began to bring the gospel to her in a way that she had never heard of it or thought of it, I think. Living water, right? So people in the United States might be hardened or desynthesized to words like believe or salvation or be saved. You know, they've already rationalized them away. So, you know, I think we can ask God to give us um, what Jesus had here, new ways uh to uh, new words and phrases, uh, you know, to to share His glory as we see glimpses of His glory we, uh, in ways that we can share it that people have never heard of that they've never they've, they, their heart hadn't been hardened to to the phrases they hadn't rationalized them away. Uh, so uh, to speak to people in different language than the world has, has has talked about so long that they've heard, and so Jesus did that. I think, In verse eleven, the woman said to him, "Sir, you have nothing to draw water with." So, yeah, the woman begins her response. Uh, we might say these are somewhat like excuses, and and the question is that how might um, her words be parallel to what people tell us today? <clears throat> So the woman said, sir, you have nothing to draw water with. Come on, you know, you want to give me a drink, you know, living water. You know, I don't know what that is. I don't understand that. But yeah, yeah, you know, how are you going to do it? You don't even have, uh, you didn't bring a gourd with you with a string, you know, to to, to draw draw water with. Right. So, um, uh, you know, when we say Jesus is the answer to what you need, people may say, you know, I can't really see Jesus, you know, and I can't really see any way he can help me. It seems impossible. What proof can you offer? Of why should I trust Jesus with this problem? If, uh, you know, I don't see any, anything in his hand to draw with that might help me. And even as a believer, sometimes we think, you know, uh, you know, I don't see how you can help me with this problem at work or in my marriage. You know, we fall back into that many times. But that was the excuse she gave. But she continued. She said, and the will is deep. You know, have you ever like thought, well, God can't help me. I've sinned so much, you know, too much for him to forgive. Uh, uh, You know, and, you know, the truth is we, you you can't dig yourself out of a hole. It just keeps getting deeper and we get farther from God. Uh, And so she says, you know, the the, the will is deep. What you gonna do about that? You know, but Isaiah fifty nine one I think says that God's hand is not shortened; that He cannot save. The Lord can reach down. Uh, Jeremiah thirty two twenty seven. Nothing too hard for God. Ephesians two thirteen. You know, us who were far off, He's brought near by the blood of Christ. So you know, the well is not too deep. That excuse won't work. And then she kept she kept on. She says, "Where do you get that living water?" So, so what basic excuse here is she giving? You know, what do you think? By the way, Jesus, you need to tell me how all this works. You know, where where does that living water come from? You're talking about. If I can't understand it perfectly, then why should I believe you? All right, you know, and we, we we're that way right? People are that way. Um, They don't want to take God's word. He has proved himself forever, you know, in history and in the Bible and in our own life. And, And yet we don't want to take his word for what he says. We don't want to trust him for the living water. And then she goes on, verse 12, are you greater than our father Jacob? He gave us the well and drank from it himself as did his sons and his livestock. Yeah, yeah that's, a, that's a great question, isn't it? Are you greater than Jacob? You know, it was uh, the promise of Jesus that was made in the Garden of Eden uh, to Adam and Eve that through the seed of the woman would become the, the only hope for mankind's sin, the one who would crush the head of, of Satan, of the snake. Um, and the promise was given to Abraham and to Isaac and to Jacob. You can see in Jacob, this one who dug the well in Genesis 28, 14. Uh, uh, it Through him, you know, all the world would be blessed. Uh, all the nations, all the peoples of the earth. Uh, and it was through him that Jesus would come. He was one of the, the ancestors of Jesus. It was all about Jesus. Even Jacob was Jesus. Is he greater than Jacob, you know? Uh, and people today might say, you know, is Jesus just a good man? or Who are you, Jesus? Are you greater than Buddha or Gandhi or Muhammad? No. Muhammad Ali said he was the greatest. Are you greater than him? Well, Colossians 1.16 says that, uh, speaking of this one who is standing at the well with the woman, he says, of Jesus, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things and in him. All things hold together. Yes, Jesus is greater. Hebrews one three. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of His nature. And He upholds the universe by the word of His power. That's this one the woman is speaking to and asking, Are you greater than Jacob? And uh, Jesus says something unexpected and strange next. And um, He says, Verse 13, Jesus said to her, Everyone who drinks of this water, that would be the well, water, will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water (laughs) so that I will not be thirsty or have to come here to draw water. So, did you get what Jesus was talking about? No, not at all. You know, not yet. And I, I think when we're bragging on Jesus, when we plant the seed of the gospel, it does not always sprout immediately. Even for the elect that God chose, some, uh, some, sometimes seeds don't sprout until they've. They've gone during in the soil and they they've been there for hard winters many hard winters have to come or some sometimes the seeds don't sprout until an extra wet period comes in 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 the ground you know and, and the water stays wet for a long time but then some soil uh, in, in some soil the seeds sprout very quickly and it would be so for this woman but we should have patience I think. Uh, Because that's the way God works And it's time The seeds sprout Verse 16 Jesus said to her Go, call your husband and come here The woman answered him I have no husband Jesus said to her You are right in saying I have no husband For you have had five husbands And the one you have now is not your husband What you have said is true So Jesus uh, You know First, he told her to give him a drink, and now he says, go call your husband. I mean, he's he's keeping the the riskiness going, isn't he? Uh, But I think he's intriguing her with what he's saying. You know, there's something there, and she wants to get it. Um, And now, Jesus tells her some things, uh, and she begins to believe. uh, This man is speaking for God, I think. How did he know this, you know? The woman said to him, Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshiped on this mountain, but you say that in Jerusalem is a place where people ought to worship. So I think we can see that you know the seed of the gospel is beginning to sprout, to crack open and to sprout in the soil of her heart. Because Usually, when someone hears the gospel, um, you know, they don't stick around very long, if if it's contrary to what they want to hear. And so she was staying there. She continued to listen to Jesus, and she engaged in the conversation. So I think the gospel was at work in her life, and you know, her sinful condition even was. Was addressed, and that she did not deny that at all. She, I think she, it was right. like, "Yes, you're right. I, you know, I've lived a life of sin, and I'm not married." And uh, and honesty and confession are important in coming to Christ. And that seems to be a work in her life coming through. Verse 21, Jesus said to her, "Woman." Believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We worship, speaking I think of the Jews, what we know for salvation is from the Jews. So they did have the scriptures. Yeah, But the hour is coming and now is here when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. Spirit and truth, for the Father is seeking such people to worship Him. God is spirit, and those who worship Him must worship in spirit and truth. So Jesus was uh, continuing to talk about spiritual things with her, and to draw her from seeing the living water as as physical water, and it's something spiritual, and He was speaking for God. She recognized Him as a prophet from God. And notice, I think we can take a pointer from Jesus here. Um, did Jesus say, you know, I think this about the truth, I think this is true, or this is my opinion about what God's word means, uh, or, you know, this is, uh, you know, from my perspective, I I believe this. No, Jesus did not say it's his opinion. He spoke with confidence and assurance uh you know God's word is a hundred percent true. You know, I think when we uh, brag on Jesus, sometimes we fail. We present our beliefs as a perspectives, personal perspectives, and uh, so that we might not be too judgmental or harsh. And this this many uh, diminishes the truth of the gospel. We need the truth of the gospel when we share Christ. And that may seem even more risky, again, to some of you. But uh, but God will work. Now, verse 25, the woman said to him, and she didn't run away yet, you know. All of a sudden, she starts speaking about Jesus without even knowing it. I know that Messiah is coming, the one who is called Christ. When he comes, he will tell us all things. Wow. So I believe the uh, the spirit uh, of God was at work in her life, and the seed of the gospel was 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 coming, uh, beginning to sprout. And next, what we see, Jesus is answered. It's the the mind blowing wow. The time for that has arrived. In verse 26, Jesus said to her, "I who speak to you, am He." Wow. Jesus. the one that was promised throughout all of the Old Testament, from before time, the Bible says, um, uh, he had arrived. Um, And so the woman is going to have to respond once again. Jesus, in seeing who he is, has uh, uh, created a, you know, a, a dialogue in which she is going to have to have some kind of response. And C.S. Lewis says uh, that um,
1: after hearing about
0: all the claims of Jesus, we respond by either calling him a lunatic or be uh, willing, you know, or believing him and following him with everything we have. You know, uh, both cannot be true. It's either one or the other. And so the woman was either going to turn away at this point and say, you are a lunatic. You expect me to believe you, that you're the Messiah? Come on, give me a break. But the Holy Spirit had been working through the words of of the good news Jesus was sharing. And um, what would she do? Well, about that time, verse 27, just then his disciples came back they marveled that he was talking with a woman. But no one said, what do you seek or why are you talking with her? Um, so the woman left her water jar and went into town and said to the people, come and see a man who told me all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ? You know, because, uh, I mean, she was, she, the things were still working in her heart and she had to share. And she went out of the town uh, they went out of the town and were coming to him. So it's kind of strange, interesting that um, Jesus, she came for for physical water, but uh, this news was so important about living water that she left her water pot right there at the well. Uh, she didn't need that at that time. She, she went back into town. All right. So, um, And it might have been a good little distance because, you know, she had spoken earlier. Well, if you give me the living water, I won't have to come to the well, you know. So uh, how did the woman respond? Well, she began to brag on Jesus, didn't she? Let's, um, Let's continue. Verse 31. Meanwhile, the disciples were urging him, saying, Rabbi, eat. But he said to them, I have food to eat that you do not know about. So the disciples said to one another, Has someone brought him some to eat? Jesus said to them, My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. So Jesus is um, talking about missions here. So how is staying on mission like eating food? Well, I think it helps me to think of the opposite. Uh, Let's see. um, Not eating food can, can... can cause us to become weak, right? And and sick and and unproductive in our life. Um, So for a believer, not staying on mission can do the same to us spiritually. It can cause us to be unproductive. So, uh, you know, as we stay on mission in life for Christ, it's like eating. And it, it gives us spiritual strength in the Lord. He is with us and we accomplish those things uh, that he has called us to do. And uh, and we have uh, his power and his joy and we're able to be productive in the mission. All right. So uh, Jesus said to them, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. So this uh, being on mission gives us joy and inner strength, you know, know, obedience to Christ. Verses thirty-five to thirty-eight, Jesus talks to his disciples about uh, some more about sowing and reaping in the mission, and you can read that on your own. But can continue with this particular story, then back to the woman, and and uh, the the people in Sychar, verse thirty-nine. Of the world, So I think we can see evidence that they became believers, true believers in Jesus. Um, they willingly came to Christ and they professed him as Savior of the world and they asked him to stay. You know, um, they were like the woman. They didn't run away from Christ. Uh, they didn't just say a few words uh, as a prayer to sure up their salvation and be and go back to living their life for themselves. They they wanted to be around Jesus and, and learn more about him, see his glory, and be transformed themselves, personally. Um, so, you know, there's a story about um, a couple young men, brothers. They were twins. They went to an art museum. And um, they came to the Mona Lisa. And they stood there and looked. And But one of the, the boys, he... Uh, he was bored. I mean he he left and left the other his brother there at the at the painting and this this the other brother he, he just left he went looked at a few more paintings and he was just bored and so he left the museum and his brother stayed there just looking at the at the Mona Lisa and uh, he was just in awe of, of the Mona Lisa. He he began to to, to notice each brush stroke and, um, he, he, he pondered the meaning of what it could mean. And, uh, and so he stood there an hour or two and, uh, and the next day he came back and he brought some friends who, uh, to looked at it as well. And it was, it was beautiful to them and it brought them great delight. And, uh, and so, um, and he continued to do that, um, kept coming back and looking and thinking and pondering. Um, that's the way it is with Jesus. If he is beautiful to you, you know, you're know, you going to want to spend time with him and, and think about him and ponder him. And that's what the, the Samaritans did. They wanted Jesus to stay. All right. So uh, that's good evidence. If you love being around believers and you love coming to church and And studying God's Word, uh, then if Jesus is beautiful, if He's good news to you, uh, then that's good evidence that that you know Jesus uh, as your Savior. So today we're going to write a poem about some truth we we might see in this text. Um, And writing a poem can be simple or complex. For me, it usually starts off pretty simple because I might write a poem. When I'm having difficulty understanding or focusing on a certain passage, writing poetry, it can be very therapeutic. It is for me, it causes us to to ponder and pause and think instead of rushing through what we're writing um, or what we're reading if we're trying to understand a text. Um, So it can be helpful to understand a difficult passage because of this, I think. there There's no really rules for writing poetry. Some write with rhymes, cadence, rhythm. Others actually count out the syllables of each line in each word. And uh, to some, exact rhymes are important. To other, other people, near rhymes or no rhymes are just fine even. And even some, I, I like this, they lead the reader to expect a rhyme and then they leave them hanging somewhat. So George Herbert was a, a Christian, Christian pastor and a poet. He, he only lived to be 39. He died in 1633. And he, he read some of his poems from the pulpit when he preached. Um, and um, when he was uh, sick, he sent some of his, uh, or he sent his poems to a friend. And he instructed him uh, that he should, uh, if they, if he didn't like them, he should throw them in the fire. Right? He wanted them to be used for God's glory, but it, uh, he didn't know. But he sent them to his friend. His friend liked them. He published them, and you can find his works in in the book called the the, the Temple. And so, uh, they, his his poems are, are really complex. Most of them are. Um, uh, I mean, you know, some some poetry. There's uh, there's bridges and and choruses and different structure. His is very structured, uh, and some sometimes it's hard to figure out. But but they're fantastic poems. They are written in the language of his day, so that creates a little bit of a barrier. But um, but there there's some some very some people think they're some of the greatest poems written. So you can actually buy that for your Kindle or your your e-book uh, still. So that so that's what we're going to be doing, writing poetry. And uh, just in closing, I want to ask you, where is Jacob's well in your own life? This something for us to ponder. It might be at the water cooler at work, or convenience store where we get gas, or McDonald's, Carlitos, you know, where we we. We do Bible studies with people or have accountability meetings or your, your Jacob's well, uh, you may, maybe dig in a well, uh, with your children and teaching them scriptures and teach them about Jesus. And, and they're going to go on and teach their children and their children will teach other, their children. And so this will be a well, uh, that will continue to give a living water for generations to come. Uh, maybe you participate in missions and in other ways. But the question is, how can I intentionally dig wells where I go and in my own backyard? So it may be you want to begin a small group or a backyard Bible study. And so uh, those are some ideas. There's many more. Um, I want to close with a poem, and then I'll pray. This is one I wrote. It's called Two Wells. <clears throat> there once were two wells flowing out waters to nourish sons of the sons and the daughters. One was alive, purified. The other looked clean to the naked eye. The toxins like arsenic venom and bane longed to flow through the children's veins. Covered in aspartame and formaldehyde sweet in hopes that the people would drink and eat Lurking and hiding the poison it carried, knowing partakers would soon be buried. Both wells cried out, I satisfy. But one shared the truth, the other a lie. I thought, how shall one know which to partake? Then I looked all about upon the landscape. Around one fountain the uh, vegetation was dead. The people were crying. I... I heard what they said. Woe to us, they yelled out in pride. The waters they drank made them bitter inside. It had rotted their eyes and made them blind. It closed up their ears and hardened their mind. It changed how they think. It made their life stink. But yet their greatest desire was to take another drink. From the other fountain, oh yes. I was sure sprung the water of life unpolluted and pure the grass was green the flowers in bloom the people were singing a joyous tune they loved one another all could see that the water of life was abundant and free they carried that water wherever they go and that water they drank was the word that was spoke. They spoke in the deserts, the valleys and plains, knowing God's living word never waters in vain. Let's close with prayer. Father God, you are awesome. Thank you for your word, Lord. Help us to be better braggers on you, better braggers of your son, Jesus, and the good news that he He is. Lord, uh, just I would ask that you you put it in our hearts, Lord. Um, we're not very good. We, can, we can't do any of it on our own, Lord. Just help uh, uh, the living water to come out, Lord. Quicken us to speak when we need to speak and give us the words to say, Lord, that you might be glorified through your Son. Place it in our heart. Put it in our heart, Father, to do that, Father, please. Make us braggers on you, Lord, uh, so that you might be glorified among the peoples of the world. Thank you for your word. Thank you for brothers and sisters in Christ. In Jesus' name, amen.